What's the toughest thing about being a superhero? Trying to live a normal life. Whether it's pumping up, dinner with the family, or seeing old friends. Hey, Lucius! Hey, Speedo! <laughs> you are one distracted guy. I know you miss being a hero and your job is frustrating. I, I just want you to know how much it means to me that you stay at it anyway. Um, honey? Hello, Mr. Incredible. About the job? We know who you are. Something's happened. We have a new assignment for you. The supers aren't gone. You can still do great things. Wait, they're saving the world to the men? Honey? Where's my super suit? Why do you need to know? I don't think so. Your sword can stretch as far as you can and still retain its shape. Virtually indestructible. Machine washable, darling. That's a new feature. <laughs> We're superheroes. What can happen? Uh -oh. Ciao, people, and welcome to our 149th episode of Happiness in Darkness, the superhero movie podcast. We discuss superhero movies from Marvel, DC, Dark Horse Image, and more. Naturally, there will be spoilers, folks, so you have been warned. I'm one of your co-hosts, DJ Nick, and joining me today and returning to the podcast after way too long, it's always a joy to have him with us, is the one and only Greg Vorob. Hey, Greg, how are you? And welcome back. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for asking me. This was one of those times where I didn't invite myself. This was Greg. <laughs> I want you for this. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Oh, well, you're very, very and welcome. Good. Let me be the first to congratulate you on episode 150, which is next. So let me just be the first to congratulate you on making 150 Happiness and Darkness episodes. Well, thank you very much, Greg. And yes, it's been quite the wild and winding road indeed. And today, of course, we are discussing The Incredibles from 2004. This was directed and written by Brad Bird, who our listeners might know from such things as The Iron Giant, Ratatouille, and Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol. While the original score was by Michael Giacchino, we seem to keep running into this guy lately, this movie <laughs> cost $227 million to make, to put it in today's money and made almost a billion 989 million at the box office so greg actually starting here with general impressions on this film yeah. was this the first time you sat down to watch this and what did you make of the incredibles it sure was um i've heard about this movie of course for years pixar movies aren't necessarily things that i rush out to see and i've either seen it or i haven't when it comes to pixar um and in the case of The Incredibles, what I'll say off the bat that I liked was the originality of it, because Pixar ripped things off. Now, they might have done them well, but let's look at some of the history of Pixar. So you had Toy Story, which isn't my favorite Pixar, to be honest with you. Uh, that was Jim Henson's A Christmas Toy, which was a one hour made for TV Christmas special back, I want to say, in the late 80s, early 90s, maybe. And it's people could Google it. Jim Henson's a Christmas toy. Same concept right down to the a new toy coming in. And the old toy is sad that the new. I mean, it's a Christmas toy. Then you have a bug's life, which happens to be what I think is the funniest Pixar movie. But a bug's life was three amigos and three amigos was seven samurai. But this was more like three amigos, you know, was a bug's life. Then fast forward, you know, I could go on. But fast forward even after The Incredibles. You had Inside Out, which was Herman's head. 
Now, granted, Pixar may have done them better. I mean, how beautiful is Inside Out, you know? But it was still never an original concept. Now, whereas The Incredibles is an homage to comic books. And, I mean, this was amazing and ahead of its time because it was even before the MCU. So I was very impressed with its originality, the concept of a family of superheroes. So more credit where credit is due for it. Um, the idea that these people are repressed, oppressed, repressed uh, from the government and this general consensus at this time in the world of you cannot be who you are. You cannot do what is special about you. We are preventing you from being that. Now, Brad Bird had always said to people, please do not analyze The Incredibles. I had read this. He goes, it's just an entertaining movie. But if you really look at it, there's that aspect of it about oppression. One thing that was very significant of one of its points that it made for me anyway, personally, you have the, the boss, the little puny boss played by Wallace Shawn beautifully. And the fact that he is um, the, the power that he thinks he has in that building to speak to people that way, especially this big imposing guy like Bob, um, you know, out on the street, he's a quote, nobody. But in there, yeah, that's the nine to five grind. And Bob is so much better than that. The whole family is so much better than that. So that's what I really appreciated about it. And that, I mean, that was that was a point that I think maybe was trying to be, be conveyed. And I like that. I like some of the action. I like some of the characters. Um, uh, but through the whole movie, I never laughed out loud once. I kind of just had a smile on my face for the first 25 to 30 minutes and uh, while I don't think it's a bad movie at all, I expected much more from Brad Bird, who wrote some of the funniest Simpsons episodes ever, as well as the fact that I've heard about this movie for years. I did not go in with expectations, but so many people are saying it's so funny, it's so entertaining. Unfortunately, I got bored uh, at some point and was checking the time it's very long for an animated film, an hour and 55 minutes, I must say. And I may have uh, a smile, maybe a quick chuckle, but otherwise, uh, I guess you could just say it wasn't my cup of tea. A fine film for anyone who would. Uh, uh, some of the bits throughout were very good. Um, but yeah, just not my cup of tea. Didn't really hold my interest. I was bored a lot of the time. Hmm. I mean, interesting that you say that. And mm -hmm. I interesting also the fact that you mentioned that Brad Bird kind of like don't analyze this movie and it's almost like well, there's no there's no subtext. Go ahead. Well, well, I, I will put it into a little bit more context. There were people who were saying it was making political points, like people were saying the oppression represented the right wing and the oppression represented what the left wants to do. I mean, and that's where he said, stop, just stop, you know, analyzing it. But no, that whole idea what I love there, especially the boss talk, and he's just so frustrated that he can't be who he really is. And the nine to five grind, like we're all subjected to and that we're all slaves to. And there's things that are special, quite frankly, about every human being on earth. And if, if they can't feel they can use their gifts, then what are they? So that was, a, I believe, at its core and subtext, 
The Incredibles was saying. That's what I, I that's what kind of I figured, because, you know, it's interesting that, uh, you know, that somebody, a creator of a movie and some kind of steps up and says, you know, hey, you know, stop analyzing this film because this is not what I was trying to say. And but when I guess it's to politics. Time, yeah. Yeah. From what I understand. Yeah. But, but I guess at the same time, it's almost like any art form where it's incredibly subjective. So you can, of course, read into whatever the viewer, you know, is has in mind at the time. You know, it can so you can they can see things which the the creator of that that piece of art didn't necessarily intend. So and I think obviously that's the beauty of film. You know, yeah. Music, as I always say, else. there's no wrong. Yeah. I'm sorry to cut you up. There's no wrong interpretation of art. No, you know, exactly. That, any kind of art. Yeah. Yeah. And because I, because re watching this film, I mean, at the time when I saw it way back when, I really, really enjoyed it. I found it incredibly interesting. I mean, I'm, I'm very much a Pixar guy. So I will pretty much watch, I've watched the entire Pixar catalog. Big, big fan of the Toy Story franchise. I went to see Lightyear in the theaters a couple of weeks back and so on. So this is very much my bread and butter. And re watching this now, and it's been a while since I'd watched this, it's curious how. It is still so current today because of the themes that it uh, yeah. that it it, uh, it takes on the whole thing that like you were saying of repression and not being able to be who you are and to have to kind of fit in in order to to carry on with your life mm-hmm. and not being able to be the person that you are as a whole and I think that mm-hmm. is that could almost be seen as coming back in today's culture as well in the sense that be normal. Don't be different because different is bad. And still to this day, unfortunately, there are a lot of people who criticize those who are different from the norm. Yeah. And I think yeah. this is somewhat one of the things that is this is kind of um, addressed in this film. But also at the same time, I love the fact that it takes the superhero genre, like you said, this was before the MCU, and does spin it on its head to a certain extent. I mean, it was very, I think, forward thinking for the time, i.e., superheroes being sued, superheroes having to go undercover, having to hire lawyers, having to basically go underground because they're not wanted and because there's almost a fear of people who are enhanced. I mean, case in point, when uh, Bob saves the guy who wants to kill himself and then suffers a lawsuit because of it. So I think it was very clever on Brad Bird's part to bring us something like that. I mean, I know now we watch it today's eyes like, Oh, where we've seen this song and dance before, but casting our minds back to 2004, I think this was still very, very forward thinking and very original for yeah. a superhero movie. So I, I still enjoyed it. I mean, I agree with you. Maybe it's not, a, maybe I'm not the demographic, you know, it's almost turning 40. This might not be my, the, the demographic this film is aimed at, but I still enjoyed it. So I thought it was a good watch. Uh, right. Was anything more to add? Well, I mean, everything you just say was what I appreciated about it that subtext and the undertones to it. Sure. I mean, I was watching and I'm like, yeah, just, yeah, just not my cup of tea as a movie as a whole, but certainly appreciated things about it for sure. Exactly. So uh, let's then start off here and looking at our characters by looking at our superhero husband and his wife. We have Craig T. Nelson as Bob Parr slash Mr. Incredible and Holly Hunter as Helen Parr, Elastigirl. So, uh, Greg, what did you make of the Pars? Well, um, I appreciated how I understood that Bob was very depressed at the beginning of the, the film when we get to, quote, present day. I understand that. On the other end, 
I didn't like how selfish he was acting. And I also, I, I was very surprised that he fell for Mirage's, uh, 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 you know, uh, ploy. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought he was being very selfish and it made me not like him. Although if I wanted to play devil's advocate, I understand how absolutely frustrated he was about not being able to be uh, Mr. Incredible. You know, um, so that was Bob for me. I liked Alaska Gir- Alaska Girl Helen much better because she was the voice of reason. The everything is going to be okay no matter what. <clears throat> accepted more than Bob that they were being oppressed, um, and I just found her a little bit more lively and likable than Bob. And I actually have to ask you: when it comes to films like this, and you recognize possibly the voice of, of whoever's doing the character, does that take you out of the movie, or are you still able to enjoy it? No, no. I think voices. I mean, that's why they put big stars as voices of the leads. And then all the voice actors, the regular voice actors that are in everything are the, you know, the supporting or the secondary roles. No, I love Craig T. Nelson. In fact, that's who my hair is modeled after nowadays. Uh, I told you that. Yeah. From my, uh, my stylist. Yeah. We do my, we do the Craig T. Nelson. Uh, I I liked him very much in Poltergeist. I liked him in coach. Uh, I don't know if coach would hold up today. I think he's a very charismatic actor and a very good actor. And I enjoyed it. He was a very good choice for that role. And I think they were going for the perfect voice because it's not like Craig T. Nelson's name is like Tom Cruise or anything, or even Tom Hanks and Tim Allen of Toy Story. So Craig T. Nelson and Holly Hunter was clearly just, they were doing the best casting choice that they wanted, you know, for the movie. You know, yeah, and they, they were both perfect. Yeah, they were both perfect in terms of that. Yeah, yeah, because I do know that there are folks who maybe are watching you know, an animated show and then they recognize whoever it is that's doing the voice and it almost takes them out of the film because like, oh, that's uh, so-and-so. And, uh, and yeah. now I can't sort of see them as the character they're playing, but just as their live action self. If you well, I know a great example of who I love when he shows up as a voice is Albert Brooks. Uh, especially all his work in The Simpsons and stuff. He's hysterical. And then he does Finding Nemo with such a touching performance. No, I, I never get, no, I love whoever the voice act. That might even make me go see a movie because it's like the voice of whoever. And so I go see it, you know. So, yeah, no, I never had that problem. I mean, no, I mean, because it's always, as I said, there are those who kind of get distracted by it. I didn't get distracted by this. I mean, I recognize obviously certain voices because obviously having seen, especially Holly in so many movies, obviously, and she has a very recognizable voice. So you kind of can like, I mean, I immediately, my the light bulb went off like, yeah, that's Holly Hunter. I can totally tell. But uh, yeah, I, yeah, same. Right? Yeah. Yeah, because they're very recognizable voices, kind of like, I suppose, the Sam Jackson as Frozone. You can totally tell that that is Sam Jackson. But um, mm-hmm. when it comes to these two characters, I'm kind of right there with you. Uh, I do think for the most part, Bob is the more selfish of the two pars yeah. in the sense that he's very much about reliving the glory days. And obviously, because he, he and Frozone hang out trying to relive those glory days, which they can no longer do because of all the bands that have been put on superheroes and, and having to go basically undercover. So he very much is almost looking, or, or should we say, 
kind of chasing the fountain of youth and chasing what he what he to him is the most important part of him, i.e., Mr. Incredible. I mean, I'm sure he's proud of being a father to Dash and to Violet and to Jack Jack and of course being husband to Helen. But to him, I think he very much he considers Mr. Mr. Incredible as his core identity. And I think that is why he's so frustrated because it almost seems like without Mr. Incredible, I am nothing. And I'm just an, an average Joe who has this job. And so, but at the same time, he acts almost as a superhero within his job because he's helping these people yes. in yes, the company. And even though it's, it obviously goes against the company policy, it's losing the company possible money and, and such he has that instinct of wanting to help people. So I think he's a superhero, even when he's not Mr. Incredible. And so it's almost something he can't fight. It is his nature to be a superhero. Right. Also, I do agree the fact that he gets so easily sucked in yeah. by, by Mirage, because I think she's clever in playing to his vanity and the fact of he, of she knows what strings to strum when it comes to him because she knows how badly he wants to go back to being Mr. Incredible. And I th it's also interesting here, like we've seen in other, sh in other movies and such, how, certain, how the characters' powers reflect who they are. Because I think Elastigirl, it very much reflects who Helen is as a person. In a sense, she does her best to be flexible as in trying to run a family, trying to keep her husband happy, taking care of the kids. And like you said, accepting the fact that they have to go undercover and they have to sacrifice the fact of being superheroes. Because I think Helen also misses being Elastigirl, but she's that much more flexible than her husband. Yes. Where she's like, I can make this work. Yep. Um, I found, and Holly Hunter was a great choice to, in another way, because she's a very comforting presence of the film. She's the heart of the movie, you know, so that's what I liked about her as well. Um, yeah, I mean, I understand where, but, and you know, something just flashed like an, a light bulb. You, you, I wonder, let's just put it out there, if their last name is Parr because they're not living up to Parr. Who well knows? played, sir. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, but now they are, you know. Um, but yes, yes, I, I would say she's the heart of the movie. And Again, I forgive Bob for what he did because he's so frustrated and so depressed. But it took me out of it a little bit to sympathize with him because, hey, he was going behind uh, uh, Helen and his family. And, and that, you know, to me, just kind of irked me a little bit about it. No, no, that's totally fair because, yes, because literally pursuing his uh, his desires and was putting his family, I'm not saying aside, but he really wants to as I mentioned before, relive the glory days. But then I think it's great that once, you know, there's no longer need to pretend and the whole family is back to being superheroes and everybody gets their costumes and they get to fight and so on. I thought that was, uh, I was very, very happy to see it because I mean, the heck, who doesn't enjoy a family of superheroes as <clears throat> yeah. possibly crazy and dysfunctional as the pars might be. So uh, um, anything else on the Bob or Helen before we move forward, Greg? Uh, no, no. Okay. So uh, moving on here, let's look at the Parr kids. We have mm -hmm. Sarah Vowell as Violet Parr and Spencer Fox as Dashiell Dash Parr. So what did you make of, of the two? Because granted, I don't think we could really review Jack Jack because he barely gets much to do in this film. But when it comes to Violet and Dash, what did you make of them? Well, Dash was my favorite character by far. I found him the most amusing, very cute, 
uh, very charming. And I'm like, you know, I could watch a whole movie about Dash versus the incredible, you know, versus the whole family. So I love them. Um, uh, would, would you would you say he's the comic relief in terms of even though it is a comedy, you know, he's kind of gets these one liners and he's got a great story about how he's causing trouble at school. Also can't be who he is, you know. Um, but I found him the most interesting character, and I, I said, oh, yeah, I could watch a whole movie about Dash. In terms of Violet, she was a little underused. She was very well written, but underused, because, you know, she's a teen going through angst. She has this crutch. Just a perfect example of a coming-of-age teenager and having these complexes. She's just a regular teenager who happens to be a superhero, but they really, in my opinion, underused her. I mean, I haven't seen the sequel. I, I know that there's a sequel. Um, but we didn't really get to know Violet that well. I think she was the most of the Parr family uh, that got the least storyline there. Hmm. <laughs> well, I'm very fair. And I think, once again, the kind of the names and the powers, they have very much reflect their characters. Because obviously Violet, you think of fading Violet, which is yeah. very much, I think, what her kind of and it reflects her powers because she obviously has the powers of invisibility and of creating force fields so <clears throat> my thought is she is obviously a very shy girl and almost wants to remain hidden and almost wants to defend herself by as I said creating locking out the rest of the world by creating this force field but and and hence why obviously she's she's lusting over the the, the high school jock Mm -hmm. And really wants to be noticed, but at the same time, she's so incredibly shy because she's very worried. She's very worried about what's she going to think of me and everything else. And the fact that obviously she has the hair over her eyes and so on. So she's, I think, also very one very self conscious and very shy. But what I love about this mm -hmm. film is, as we progress, I agree with you. We might not get as much of Violet as one might possibly like, but I do like that mm -hmm. as the movie progresses, she does learn to become more sure of herself. Yep. One, I think, through Helen who very much is like, you know, you can do this when she creates the force mm -hmm. field around the plane, or even when she leaves, obviously, Violet in charge when it's just Violet and Dash. So I think her parents very much believe in her, and I think they believe in Dash too. But I love that as the film progresses, she gains that confidence and, uh, and becomes, you know, it realizes that she doesn't have to hide and that she doesn't have yeah. to worry. And I, if her memory serves by movie's end, you know, the, the guy that she likes might actually kind of be into her as well. So uh, he's hoping that things go well between the two of them. And I'm right there with you. Being a big Flash fan, I totally yeah. see what they did with Flash and Dash. And no surprise, this character is blonde-haired and blue-eyed, just like Barry yeah. Allen, the Flash, in the comics. The movies and TV shows can't get it right, but this is what the Flash looks like. Both right. On hair and blue eyes. So, uh, well, yeah, the ode to the Flash is definitely in Dash and Frozone, I believe, is the Silver Surfer. No, pretty much. Yes, ode to the Silver Surfer. Him yeah. and uh, him and Iceman from the X-Men, I think. And the ode to Batman is in there as them when in the beginning when they're vigilantes. So mm -hmm. there's odes to ever. And of course, Mr. Incredible is essentially Superman. So the, right. the, the nice odes in there um, to, to all these superheroes. And again, I give it credit for being ahead of its time. Yeah. Because it, the, yeah. the superhero movie craze hadn't happened yet. Yeah. As you said, we we're four years away from Iron Man. So, yep. Uh, yep. so uh, you know, it was still just a 
should we say a blink in in Marvel's eye mm. at this point before or wink in Marvel's eye before Iron Man graced the stage? But yes, being a with huge ironically stage, the same company, you know, the same parent exactly. company. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes, exactly. Disney would come along and basically take mm-hmm. care of everything. But uh, but yeah, I'm right there with you. As I said, being a big Speedster fan and being a big fan of the Flash, Dash was that was the character I gravitated towards. Oh, the first time I watched this and even here, because he's just so fun. You love the irreverence. You love the rebelliousness. You love, he very much wants to embrace his powers. I think he's very much is his father's son yeah. in the sense that just like Bob, who's all about superheroes are cool. We should be proud of our powers. We should embrace our powers. And Dash is very much doing that, even though he's not allowed to. And I love the, the kind of back and forth that him and Bob have, because Bob is very much almost encouraging Dash to do what he does, as in yeah. when, when, when he gets yeah. called into the principal's office because he put, he put a tack, I believe, on the teacher's chair. Bob is like so proud. He's like, my boy <laughs> is going to be you know, one of the, the fastest kid alive, and I'm so proud of this. Whereas Helen is like, you can't do this. You have to behave. And so I love also that the way that because of Dash's behavior, the, di- the wrench it throws almost in the dynamic it creates between Bob and Helen and shows yeah. you where they stand. But yeah, Dash is, is, is fun. He's a little rascal. And I think uh, we very much in- needed that kind of, uh, you know, lovable rascal that, 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 uh, that Dash it, is. It reminded, it reminded me a little bit of an incident from my childhood. Uh, sorry mm-hmm. to digress just a little bit, it. but so uh, my, my friend and I were prank calling a girl that we both liked. And it turned out that his her father was a cop. So he traced the call immediately and called us right back. My dad was the parent who was present at home at that time. And he gets on the phone with my dad and my dad goes. You better believe I'm going to take care of this. And so he's going to guess about he hangs up the phone. He looks at me and my friend. He goes, when you make prank calls, just don't call a cop, okay? It was like that, yeah. <laughs> and that was the big beating, if you will, that we got, yeah. Mm. Next time, don't call the cops. That reminded me of that. <laughs> well, well played. I like that, yeah. So, uh, so yes, I, I, I did I did like the, 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 the park kids. And, uh, you know, without spoiling anything, yes, they do get to do a little bit more in The Incredibles 2 as yeah, well. Yeah, I might check that out. I might check out Incredibles 2, yeah. Well, hey, you never know. We might actually have to actually end up twisting your arm and have you back to to review the incredible sequel, uh, sure, uh, sure. Greg. So you never know. Um, uh, sure. So yeah, any, anything else on the Violet and Dash? Uh, nope, no. I I, I like them, and I agree a hundred percent with everything you said about what they represented. And now that we're moving away from the family, it also to me the theme of family working together up to their best abilities makes a family you know in the end so i appreciated that about it of course yeah. uh, definitely so i guess then moving on let's <clears throat> look at two of the closest friends and allies to the par family we have brad bird himself as edna e mode and mr sam jackson as mentioned as lucius best frozone so what do you make of these two greg why haven't we gotten a frozone spinoff <laughs> i agree <laughs> <You know? laughs> In his own adventure. Great character uh, and great voice uh, characterization by Samuel L. Jackson, of course. Um, <clears throat> I liked him a lot. You know, uh, um, y- y- you know, another thing that they could do is like a full partnership of Mr. Incredible and Frozen. Because here's another great character who was a little underused, you know. But I do understand that that was for a reason. 
you know, so he could come and help at the end and everything. Um, but I, I really liked Frozone and I want a spinoff movie. I would probably enjoy that. Um, Edna, for years and years, you know, she was probably built up a little bit more. She's certainly funny. And it's almost like she was modeled after the actress Linda Hunt. Uh, I feel like she was. <clears throat> and uh, but, you know, that's speculation. But yeah, Brad Bird was very funny. Nice uh, performance. The concept of her being <laughs> the one who makes superhero outfits and testing them and all. Very cute concept. But I, I think the character, she was funny and I liked her, but she's over the years, it's like, oh, Edna is the favorite funniest character in The Incredibles. Yeah, I guess it was built up a little bit too much for me, but certainly cute concept. And and uh, that's I probably smiled and chuckled a little bit at her, her scenes. Hmm. Well, I mean, you know, knowing that Brad Bird then went to direct stuff like, you know, a Mission Impossible movie, this is very much, I think, the Mission Impossible element. We get a lot of that kind of spy yeah. movie theme going on, I think, throughout this film, from the Giacchino score to how things were shot. I mean, it, some of it feels a little bit more James Bond than Mission Impossible. James Bond, of- Lucius Fox, you know. Exactly. Yeah. So there is very much that that spy movie feel about mm-hmm. this film. So it's clear mm-hmm. that Brad Bird is a fan of that genre. And like I said, heck, he went on to direct the Mission Impossible film. So it stands to reason that you get characters like, obviously, E, who is clearly a stand-in for James Bond's Q. So it makes sense. It's interesting that you, you, made, you had that speculation about who Edna was based on. I very much got a, a vibe of her being based off Edith Head, because um, of who, because she strongly resembles Edith Head. And folks, for okay. those of you who don't know who Edith Head is, she was literally one of, one of the biggest costume designers in Hollywood. And, ah. won multiple, and yes, and won multiple Oscars for her costumes. And of course, so she was uh, a, a, a costume designer and tailor and had, and was considered like the best of the best in Hollywood. And so, mm. If you go and look at even a photo of Edith, Edith Head, <laughs> there is quite the resemblance between Edna okay. and Edith Head. So that's the vibe I got, not to mention, of course, she's designing all these amazing costumes. So I yes. wonder, I mean, Brad never came out and said, you know, I based this on Edith Head, I based this on Holly, I based it on whoever. But I very much got the Edith Head vibe. But that said, she was she is actually I love this character. Heck, if she existed, I would be going to see her and saying, can you design something for me? Because <laughs> she's so much fun because, you know, while she, you know, she clearly thinks a lot about it herself because, hey, she is the yeah. best of the best. But that whole kind of darling, you know, I know I'm the best and anything else you don't have to tell me. But she's so fun. She's just so fun. And I think. Yeah. Is she is one of the that's why I, I can tell now when you said a lot of people say Edna is one of their favorite characters. Yeah. I can see why, because she embodies that very sort of I can do these amazing things and I know I'm great. And she takes everything sort of in her stride. She's like very, totally cool about everything. She's like, don't beg me, darling, please. And she does yeah. it anyway because she she's very much a diva. And I think that's the fun oh, thing yes. about Edna. Yes. That's the thing I, I love about Edna is just that she's very much. Uh, you know, because she, she designs clothes for models. Because yeah. she says she literally had been to my hometown, Milan, and it made me smile when she <laughs> I said remember that. that. Oh yes, I thought of you. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> so that made me that made me laugh. It's like, oh, you know, Edna's just been in Milan working with models, and uh, <laughs> so I, I agree with you. Brad did a fabulous job when it came to this character, and of course, 
Edna would then return in the sequel as well. And Sam Jackson. I mean, I'm a huge fan of Sam's, yeah. be he Nick Fury or be he in Pulp Fiction or anything. He just brings his A game to the table. Granted, you can always tell it's Sam Jackson if he's doing the voice because it's it's him. He always kind of plays yeah. himself or yeah. throws a little bit of himself into it. But I agree with you. I would have liked more Frozone. And I'm yeah. also saying, give us a Frozone spin-off movie. Because- oh, please. Why not? They do everything else that's unnecessary. Why don't you give us a Frozone spin-off? Exactly. I would eat it up with a spoon. And funny story is, the um, when, from people I've heard, their favorite scene is when Frozone is talking to his wife. And he's looking for his costume. And everybody seems to love that. scene. So he was like, honey, where's my super suit? And she's like, mm. you know, why do you want to know? And everybody seems to love that. Though we don't get Mrs. Best, we never get to see her. They love that, shall we say, back and forth between Lucius and his wife. Um, but uh, but I, I, I don't know. I agree with you. It's a shame that he wasn't used more because he's such an entertaining character. Yeah. And we know yeah. how charismatic Sam is. Be he physical is just his voice. So hopefully in the future we will we will get to see more of him. Yeah, I I, I like I feel like it it's not gonna happen, but yet mm. I mean there's always hope when they run out of ideas, right? I mean, <laughs> you know, the light year spin-off, clever idea. It's Pixar's biggest box office uh disappointment, isn't it? Right now? Yeah, light year. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you don't, you know, you never know. You just never know with these things. It was it was almost a a disappointment and a flop because I don't know whether people were expecting Toy Story 5 and not Lightyear, but uh, or maybe they were expecting more of a Toy Story film and it's not. But uh, so it could be that. But uh, it's a lot like the Big Bang Theory and Young Sheldon. I don't know why people, you know, and this is a movie within a movie. And that was such a clever idea to keep the franchise going. You know, Um, there's speculation that I know we're going off track here. There was speculation that Tim Allen just was never even offered it. Others mm-hmm. say he was and turned it down because it was so different. So you don't really know. There's there's different conflicting stories that's in there. Yeah. yeah. So, so I will say to briefly co- close that parenthesis that uh, Chris Evans did a bang up job and did a great job as Buzz Lightyear. And I can see why they chose him because it was more of a superhero role almost. Exactly. Rather yeah. than rather than Buzz toy. toy. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So it makes sense yeah. they would they would have Chris Evans do the voice. So uh, finally, then let's round off with our big bad and his henchwoman. We have Elizabeth Pena as Mirage and Jason Lee as Buddy uh, Incredible Boy Syndrome. So what did you make of our villains, Greg? Well, I didn't trust Mirage as far as I could throw her when she first came in. And that was my frustration of really you're being had by her. Really? <laughs> Obviously, she represented, you know, the femme fatale, and they did that very well. And the late Elizabeth uh, Pena did a did a wonderful job. That was one of the examples of because I I wasn't I did I purposely didn't look, you know, on IMDb or things like that. And I was thinking, is that Catherine Zeta Jones or Salma Hayek? And it was mm-hmm. oh, it was Elizabeth Pena of uh, of I Married Dora, a short lived but remembered sitcom, and she did a great job. And that was yeah, the femme fatale who. Of course, in the end, helped them, you know, uh, very reminiscent of like James Bond girls that were, you know, or the Jessica Rabbit. Um, not bad, just drawn that way, you know. Um, so, 
Yeah, I mean that you needed it, it, it's you needed a femme fatale. Also, some of the Bond girls that were actually femme fatales, you know. Um, yeah, so who yeah, were working I mean, with Spectre and then end up helping yeah. Bond. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, she did a great job seducing Bob, um, and really was very cunning, you know. Um, but and I'm again, it just kind of bothered me that he fell for it. But of course, he did. He was just desperate to become. A superhero again, you know. Um, when Buddy, when when uh, when he came on screen, and, and Jason Lee, great job, excellent job. Um, and he came. We saw the face of the villain. Now finally, I'm like, ah, that's where the kid comes in from the beginning. So it was very that that notion of you almost have uh, sympathy for him a little bit. And it was one of those stories of like, you know, you could take a disappointment and make something positive out of it or take a disappointment and make something and become a villain out of it. And it, it was a pretty interesting villain story where he's a villain and eliminating all these superheroes and wants to eliminate so that he could be the only superhero. It's sort of a little bit like Thanos, this this villain whose intentions in the end are actually he's trying to be a hero. He's trying to be good. So yeah, a pretty a pretty captivating uh, a villain with a great voice performance by Jason Lee. Yeah, I mean, were you surprised that Buddy ended up becoming Syndrome, i.e., the villain of this picture? Or did you kind of see it coming? I'm not sure. Uh, the only thing I remember is the minute he didn't have to say it. The minute he came on screen, I was like, uh, I knew the kid would be significant later on. I just didn't know how. And then the minute he came on, you didn't have to tell me. And I'm like, ah, the kid. Yeah. And, and there is that sense of, for example, you know, like me meeting Michael Dorn at a Star Trek convention, Worf, and he was a dick to me. It, it didn't, I didn't lose sleep over it or, or, or uh, it didn't affect my life the way it affected, uh, uh, you know, Buddy. Um but yeah, you know, I totally get it. This was his idol, his hero. It broke his heart. And he was like grieving that, you know, and I, I never thought that Bob was being a dick to him per se. He was like, kid, this is dangerous work. Go away. So he misinterpreted it, really. And he was kind of annoying. I mean, he's like, come on, let me help. You know, let me help. So this kid has a vision of being a superhero. He only wants to be a superhero, but he's going to do the complete opposite of what a superhero does in order to become. And they really didn't touch on that. It was only momentary when he came out and he goes, I am uh, this superhero. I'm revealing myself and I'm a superhero and I'm going to be the only superhero. You know, it was only very brief, but a very fascinating arc with him. Hey, he's the only one who technically is the only character in the movie that has an origin story in the movie. This is very He's the only well, one that you see the beginning of him and then the end of. Yeah. Well spotted. Yes. Cause it's true. Cause all the other characters are established he heroes at this point. And we literally got to see buddy as a kid growing up, going through yep. his incredible phase and then becoming syndrome. So uh, it's a, I, I will say Jason Lee did a fabulous job as the voice and he makes for, I think, a formidable villain for the most part. And, and mm -hmm. I mean, in, in, in comic book fashion, it's one of those cases where, of course, the hero ends up creating the villain 
unwillingly and unknowingly, but it does happen also in comics and we've seen yeah. this happen in other shows as well. It's almost like by mistake, by accident, you create yeah. your nemesis. And yeah, Batman and in a Batman 89. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly, very much. And, and in other cases as well. And the, the fact that Syndrome wants to in, you know, sell his technology mm. to kind of governments around the world I wonder what I mean. I you know. I guess we can't get into the political jungle too much since Brad Bird has asked us not to. So we'll try not to do that. But I wonder the fact that Syndrome wants to sell technology to the governments of the world and hence make everybody super. If you were, it's almost like he wants to level the playing field to where everybody gets the same kind of weapons and then kind of have at it and may the best man win. It's an it's a curious concept because I think he almost always sees as there shouldn't be superheroes and normal people. Everybody should right. be super or everybody should be normal or super should be the norm. Like you were saying. So yeah. I think he very much wants to level the playing field. It's like, you know, we'll give everybody the same chance and then we'll see what happens, you know, and if these countries destroy each other, so be it. So it, 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 it uh, speaking of it being um, current, it almost makes me think of that that terrible, terrible outcome, which crossing fingers will never happen, is the atomic bomb. In the sense that you yeah. give the atomic bomb to everybody, they all can destroy each other. So you wonder whether in the grander scheme of things, whether syndrome was almost like, and this is obviously me reading very, very heavily into this film, but almost syndrome saying, let's give the world, uh, every single country in the world, the atomic bomb, and let them destroy each other because at this point I've lost faith in humanity. I've lost faith in my heroes. I don't believe in anybody. So it could almost be a very cynical yeah. view of the world, if you will. He comes in the film rather late. And I think Mirage had a little bit, maybe even a little bit more screen time than he did. Mm -hmm. So it's another great character that is still a little underused there. It is. I would have liked to have seen more of Syndrome, but we get yeah. his mission statement and we get what yeah. he's about. So that was kind of my view. And I agree with you. Mirage, just like her namesake, is incredibly yeah. beguiling, as she should yeah. be. And I will definitely hand it to Elizabeth Pena, who has this very <laughs> sexy, silky yeah. voice, which yeah. is meant, of course, to entice and, and kind of, uh, you know, get you into that, that, that um, should we say, feel your headspace of, I will do whatever you say, because that's yeah. the kind of gal she is. And yeah. I actually wanted to, uh, want to ask you this and uh, whether you thought about this. Do you think that Mirage and Syndrome are actually a couple or she's just like one of his main underlings? That was the impression I got that they were a couple in, in that line where, you know, it, it, se it seemed to be, you know, because she's, he bet with her life. And I don't know, I just got the impression at that scene that, yeah, they were a couple. It's not necessarily, it's speculation. I mean, it's like, it's like the audience can decide for themselves whether or not they were a couple or just his main henchwoman used to, very rightfully so, to lure the superheroes into these situations and eliminate them. Yeah. Because the look that she has on her eyes when uh, Mr. Incredible is almost about to kill her and, and Buddy isn't going to do anything about it, it almost seems like she might have been the one in love with Syndrome or looking for his affections or she admired him and feels betrayed because that's obviously when this, the, the switch gets hit, when um, 
I believe it's um, it's uh, Bob who's about to kill her and Syndrome is not going to do anything about it. It's like, go ahead, you know, I know you're not going to do anything about it. And she's terrified. And that's where she changes her tune and you know, becomes a um, an ally to the Incredibles. Yeah. So yeah. It, maybe it might have been a, should we say, unrequited love to where maybe she loved Syndrome and was almost in awe of what he was doing. In hopes that, and here we're writing a whole different movie, folks. But yeah, right, right. Where maybe she was like, maybe someday he'll see me as the woman who loves him so much for who he is. So I don't know. That was the way I got it. Maybe Syndrome kind of treated her like, you know, she's the eye candy who will be able to bring in those I want killed. Yeah, you needed a femme fatale. You just yeah, yeah just did. So, yeah. but but yeah, Mirage. I <laughs> I loved what Elizabeth Pena did with this character, and I thought she was like just like I said, she uh, lived up to her name. So uh, yes. worked for me, and I'm very glad that she then you know, should say changed her alliance and uh, became and went over to Team Incredible. So uh, so good good for her indeed. So uh, anything else on this film before we get to ratings, Greg? Look, I, you know, I, just because it wasn't my cup of tea, I certainly recognize that it was a good movie. Uh, I think it's overlong. I really I still would say it needed about, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes cut from it, maybe. I, I don't know. Uh, some wonderful things about it, though, for sure. And um, when it comes to me, I, I agree with you. I thought uh, all in all, I very much enjoyed it being a having listened to Michael Giacchino's scores Quite a few times recently for movies, the guy is incredible, and I think very much is supply. No pun intended, and he very much supplies, I think, an excellent soundtrack yeah. to this film. I still enjoyed it. I still enjoyed the fight scenes. I still enjoyed all the effects, and I think for being a, an animated film from two thousand four, it doesn't. It's it's aged very well. It's it doesn't look yeah. old. Old. You should say like if you look at the first Toy Story, there's certain yeah. effects in Toy Story, especially the humans that don't look as good these days. But I think The Incredibles all in all still holds up. Would you agree? Oh, oh, absolutely. And it was ahead of its time. It was before the superhero movie craze. And then it, I am surprised that it did take so long for the sequel to be made. Mm. Yeah. yeah well, maybe maybe the other, I guess other projects took precedent. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, but we did yeah. get a sequel, of course, and we will eventually be discussing it on this podcast. So when it comes to ratings then, Greg, what do you give this out of 10? Oh, it's a passing grade of a six. Sure. Sure. Maybe okay. I'm I'm not being kind enough to it, you know, but I, I would just have to call it a six. I, I A six is a passing grade for me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yep. That's that. It's a, it it uh, works in Italy, too. You, if you get a six at school, it's still a passing grade. So, uh, <laughs> so that's totally fair. I'm going to be a little bit more generous than you. I'm actually going to well, give you a six. <laughs> also because I'm, I might be a little biased because I love this genre and I love Pixar films. I'm actually going to give this a seven and a half out of 10. I very much enjoyed it. I enjoyed my rewatch. It, uh, even watching this, it made me want to kind of get up and get the, D the DVD of the sequel or fire up Disney Plus and watch the sequel because it's like, oh, this was fun. Let's go and watch Incredibles 2. I'm like, no, I can't do that. It's a little bit late. But uh, I very much enjoyed that. It was very entertaining and still holds up. So uh, the, the voice performances were great. The music was awesome. And I think Brad Bird did a great job directing this film. So it's seven and a half out of 10 for me. Go ahead. Well, Giacchino uh, sold me on the uh, Star Trek 09. And I'm like, there wow, this guy's a great, this guy's a great composer. Yeah. And, and then and of you course, and I, the Batman, the Batman is amazing. 
Exactly. You and I actually got to discuss Mr. Giacchino's work on the Batman. Exactly. So, uh, yep. like I said, the guy keeps coming up and he also scored Thor Love and Thunder from last week. So there you go. The man is literally everywhere. Uh, so, yeah, seven and a half out of ten for me. And when it comes to recommendations, Greg, I mean, you know, for watching this, what yeah. would you recommend folks check out if they enjoyed The Incredibles? Well, it's funny because at the beginning of the show, I said I complimented its originality. But is it? Because there's the Britcom that I adore, my hero. And it is hysterically funny. Uh, of course, once Ardell O'Hanlon stepped down from the part, it is not as hysterically funny, but that's only like five episodes at the end of the series without him. And there was also a super baby in that. He had superpowers. The show is just delightful and hits every note on every level. Sure, maybe some seasons are stronger than the rest. I mean, I don't think this was a complete, you know, but it had some of the themes and the ideas of The Incredibles, and I adore that show, and it's uh, criminally underrated in the States, I would say. I'm actually shocked that you know of this series, because I was a huge fan of my hero growing up, and I was like, nobody's probably heard of this show, and it's wonderful that a man over in New Jersey has heard of this, <laughs> this series, and it makes me very, very happy. Granted, I don't have any and so we say dog in the fight who haven't worked on this show, but being a huge fan, I thought only the folks over here in Europe knew of this show. So I'm so glad I had, were exposed to my yeah, hero. I had the first two seasons on uh, DVD before, um, before I had to sell my entire collection. Um, I, I, it's probably on BritBox, I would imagine, mm -hmm. because almost every Britcom is on BritBox. But no, Red Dwarf, my hero... And, you know, the Monty Python. So a lot of the imports that came over here uh, to the States from the UK, I did enjoy. You know, we got My Hero Friday nights at 1030 on a PBS station. Yes. So that's how I discovered it and was floored by it and couldn't believe that it wasn't more widely known than other Britcoms like Benny Hill. Well, British uh, properties like Benny Hill, Monty Python and Red Dwarf. I mean, Red Dwarf over here is huge now. When I first discovered it, though, it just came over to the States. And then, of course, you know, a decade or so that now it has a huge following here, almost as like like a Doctor Who. Follow it has a huge following here. But yeah, my hero is criminally underseen in the United States. And yes, I'm very fortunate to be familiar with the show and Ardell O'Hanlon stand up and his his, he's just so amazing in the role. And it's almost like he's it, it's like he, he he took Christopher Reeves, Clark Kent and turned that into the secret identity and the superhero at the same time with an Irish flair. So it's always, yes. it's always definitely good fun. So I definitely can't top that recommendation, folks. So Greg <laughs> has me stomped on this one because uh, he doesn't really get better than my hero when it comes to the family of superheroes, if you will. So moving on here, we do have some Happiness and Darkness fan mail today from listener Dave Proctor, who's actually writing in about last week's review of Thor Love and Thunder. Now, Greg, I don't want to spoil Thor Love and Thunder, so I don't know if you want to. Uh, you may. Okay. Oh, you may. <laughs> okay. So, folks, any of you who have, who have not seen Thor Love and Thunder, you know, for, fast forward this episode because we get a little bit of a spoiler territory here from Dave. So Dave writes in, <clears throat> Nick. 
I want to say how much I'm enjoying your podcast. Thank you very much. I've enjoyed being on it. And if my wishes and hopes mean anything, I hope to be able to take you up on your invitation to return with the second iteration of Into the Spider-Verse. You definitely do, Dave, and we look forward to discussing that sequel with you. I literally just stopped the podcast about Thor Love and Thunder. I think you guys did a really good job talking about the movie, and I had very similar thoughts to what you guys laid down. I was not super, super happy with this movie for the same reasons you guys said. Seems a little bit more silly than it should have been. However, I think the funnier Thor movies are the better Thor movies. And as you said, Ragnarok was the best. And yes, I do stand by that, Dave. If this helps your head canon, or in my mind, it is actual canon, I will say this for the movie. Throughout the entire movie, Taika Waititi's character is narrating and telling the story to children. His character is very silly, beloved, but silly. And he has a very prominent role in the movie, more so than any other movie. Taika Waititi is also the director. Good point. This puts a thought in my head that since the director is usually credited as the storyteller and his character is the literal storyteller in the movie, I believe this is a retelling of the events through the eyes of his character. It certainly is. Pause for a second and think of any of the movies he has been and being told through the eyes of Rocker Raccoon. He would tell the story with him as a center character and he'd be the hero of the film. Now, Rockman or Korg isn't the hero, but he's telling a story about Thor, who is his hero, to children who literally grow up thinking of Thor as a hero. Of course, I think with this perspective, I understand the silliness. I understand some focus on details that I would not have picked to focus on. I also see things I would have spent more focus on that were brushed over. Interesting to me anyway is that the beginning scene where Christian Bale's character gets his origin story and the very ending where Zeus plots his revenge and where Jane is welcomed into Valhalla or not in the Taika Waititi story. This was the anchor that said this is not a made-up fiction by anyone but a real event told through the eyes of one of the participants. On the Fandom Zone podcast, <clears throat> Charles once referred to me as Philosophical Dave Perhaps this is Philosophical Dave showing up once more. I'll be looking forward to hearing your comments if you put this on the next podcast. Keep up the good work, sir. I'm loving this podcast. It is indispensable in my understanding of what I've just watched or may have watched years ago, depending on the subject matter. Thanks, Dave Proctor. Well, Dave, <laughs> thank you so much for that email. I'm really so glad you enjoy uh, what we do here. It means the world to me and I'm sure to my co-hosts as well guest co-hosts that uh, you love what we do here so thank you so much and uh, well it's uh, it's definitely <laughs> and there you go greg's greg's applauding there so greg i hope this is not spoiled you're wanting to watch thor love and thunder but um oh we're good we're good <laughs> fantastic <laughs> but uh, but yeah i think he makes a good point granted you haven't seen the film but i think he makes a good point that sometimes the director wants to be the main storyteller in their film and i think very much that's what maybe taika waititi wanted to do with thor love and thunder he has done this in other films so i think he has a point then i mean have you seen any of the other thor films um i think you know the answer to that nick okay. <laughs> no i haven't however However, I think there's I have seen Guardians and I I Rocket I adore Rocket and I think they should do a Rocket spin-off even if it's a limited series on Disney Plus. 
I think he's great. And Bradley Cooper, oh, man, he nails it. <laughs> well, I mean, if you're a comedy fan, I will definitely uh, suggest you watch at least uh, Thor Ragnarok because it is very funny and very well done. And yes, I still stand by the statement. Like you were saying, Dave, to me, Thor Ragnarok is my top Thor movie. Uh, when it comes to Love and Thunder, it was good, but it was a little bit over the top. And um, I guess sometimes the comedy was a little bit lost on me, but... Uh, all the points you made were absolutely fantastic. So I appreciate you for that uh, email indeed, Dave. And of course, dear listeners, if you want to be like Dave and share your thoughts on the movies we discuss here, you can do so by shooting us an email at happinessanddarknesshow at gmail.com. Or if you want to be like the wonderful Greg and take the plunge and join us here to review a movie, you can also do so by contacting us at happinessanddarknesshow at gmail.com. Feel free to show support by giving us a like on Facebook where you'll find us as Happiness and Darkness or follow us on Twitter. We're at High Darkness Pod. Also, if you'd like to support the podcast and feeling generous, you can check out the great tiers we have going on on Patreon. There you'll be able to pick films that go outside of what are considered regular superhero films or films inspired by comics like Road to Perdition or 300 or I Kill Giants or even films which inspired comics such as the Robocop franchise, the Aliens franchise, Terminator and more. Check all that out and join our army of patrons. Head on over to patreon.com slash happiness and darkness and a big thank you to our wonderful patrons for their support. And Greg, when it comes to you, when you're not here discussing The Incredibles and other superhero movies, <laughs> where can folks find you on the internet? Well, well, I myself have a podcast, and it currently is MSV Podcast, in which DJ Nick is pretty much a regular on the show. Um, so if you're a fan of DJ Nick, check out the episodes that DJ Nick appears in. Um, follow us on Twitter at MSV Podcast One. That's the number one we are current. We did end the series, and we're currently doing bonus shows. In fact, one is due to be released any minute. Where we are playing the infamous Facebook roulette game. Um, if you follow us on Twitter at MSV Podcast One, you will see a link to something that is an unspoken secret. It's a secret, but not a secret. But because it's kind of a secret, I'm not mentioning it yet. Um, but it'll also uh, refer you to my personal Twitter page at Greg underscore Vorob, that's G-R-E-G underscore V as in Victor, O-R-O-B as in boy, where you can see my general tweets, but uh, it's mostly a page for my acting work because I am an actor. Granted, I am a an actor who is on hiatus, but it'll link you to my IMDB page and show you all the stuff that I've done and stuff that you could, some of it is searchable that you could actually check out on the interwebs. Fantastic. And folks, definitely check out MSV Podcast, not for yours truly, but just in general for the wonderful things that Greg does with that podcast. And of course, his co-host John, they do a fabulous, fabulous job. So definitely check it out indeed. And when it comes to me, for you country music lovers, I can be found hosting the radio show Whiskey and Cigarettes. We play today's country, traditional country, and everything else in between. For more info about that, visit our website, whiskeyandcigarettesshow.com. Podcast-wise, of course, I can be found with those lovely ladies who answer to the names of Zan Sprouse and Rachel Friend on Gold Standard, the Oscars podcast. We're reviewing all the movies that won the Oscar Best Picture in chronological order. In fact, next week, we will be discussing Gundy from 1982 because we are finally in the 80s. A very exciting time indeed. And also, if superhero TV shows are your speed, myself and Charles Skaggs can be found on the Fandom Zone where we currently wrapped up 
Miss Marvel, of course, the latest TV show on the MCU, will be coming back in August to review Sandman and She-Hulk Attorney at Law. And if you're fans of Titans or Doom Patrol, you can find myself and Charles on the on Titan Talk, the Titans podcast, where we reviewed the three seasons of both Titans and Doom Patrol while we wait for the new seasons of those shows. And speaking things to come on this show, next time we'll be taking on the 96 Jack Shoulder film slash pilot, Generation X. So, and of course, you, you can tell the listeners what that's all about. So, uh, Greg, well, first off, first and foremost, thank you so much for joining me today. It was a joy to have you back. And I definitely look forward to having you back very soon. Yes, I'm looking forward to it. Oh, well, the pleasure was certainly mine. And uh, so we definitely look forward to having you return indeed. That said, of course, folks, uh, thanks as always for listening to the show and supporting us. We will see you next time with Generation X. Until then, stay super. Ciao. Bye, people.